Hello, good evening, and welcome to this supplemental edition of The Game is About Glory. My name is Stefan, I'm your host, and uh, Milo has snuck in with me tonight. It's just oh, yeah. me and Milo in here. Hello, mate. How I'm good. This is, this is how this pod should always have been. I don't know why we let the other lot on here. <laughs> I know, I've no idea. It could be a, it could be a bad precedent, this, but uh, we, are, we are actually, we snuck in here because we were looking at the archives. And believe it or not, we do actually have a fair amount of what we call supplemental material. Others call it the cutting room floor. I like to call it the B-sides. Uh, and as we all know, the B-sides very often contain the best stuff. Right? <laughs> so as we were looking around, we got to the Everton game that we played earlier in the season. One of the Everton games we played earlier in the season. It's I think the it league game, yeah, that's right. It's the it? Goodison league game. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's it. So we were looking back at that and we had prepared, and I might tell you, executed what we thought uh, was an excellent section that that ran through all the players that have played for both Everton and the mighty Tottenham Hotspur. And I think we were very surprised at how many there have been. You know, you're looking at a range from Nick Barmby to Paul Gascoigne and uh, with, a Vinnie, with a Vinnie Samways in the middle there, uh, Gary Lineker. I mean, there, there, there were some really fun players that we were talking about and some really interesting career paths. We did not manage to get that material into the episode at that time, simply because we were probably rabbiting on so much about other things like the manager at the time and what was wrong and how we would change the world and all that business that we do. But we have revised and reviewed the situation and we think that you are going to enjoy it. We think it's a really good, fun chat. It's a way to revisit some of these great players uh, and a way to, you know, to remember the contributions they made to each club. Uh, obviously, specifically ours. But at the time, it seemed like a very good idea to mirror the fact that they also had had careers at Everton. Is that, is that, well, that's a fair comment. Yeah, don't you so we, we focused on four players and just ran through their career and then really had a discussion about, you know, which club saw the um, the better of them. And um, I hope this is not yeah. too much of a spoiler. We we picked players that we love. So they, the answer is pretty much always us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so that's so that's why uh, Milo and I have snuck in to the uh, the game is about glory studios tonight and that's why we're doing this uh recorded header which uh, obviously is going to preface what you're going to be listening to for the next uh whoa, 35 40 minutes as we sat discussing doing this header in the last week we realized that it has actually been another turbulent week in the history of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club I, I think the term is clusterfuck <laughs> It has been another clusterfuck <laughs> week in the history. Very good, very good. We're not the BBC. We can say that we can use the real we terms, can, yeah. can't we? You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think we just were both. You know, we both realised that you couldn't really do a header on a pod and say, you know, enjoy, see you later. You know, have a good have a good week. We, we have to we have to address this, don't we, Milo? We have to address the situation, which is the manager's chair at Tottenham Hotspur Football. Club. While you're saying that, I had an awful premonition of Everton and poaching our top choice managerial target or our next top choice managerial targets. <laughs> well, there is a certain irony in you saying that because in the kerfuffle which has surrounded our clusterfuck situation, Everton have seen their manager swiftly turn around and say, uh, hang about, Real Madrid are coming in. I'm going to go back to Real Madrid. 
Everton have let mm. him go. Thanks very much. And it appears that they are on the verge of appointing another manager in the, in the, in the coming days. So uh, it, there is an irony to your comment. Uh, Everton are actually doing their managerial business very, uh, very quickly. <laughs> and I can't, it must have been a shock to yeah, them, right? Yeah, they're doing it quietly. That's the difference. <laughs> we're, do, we're doing it all across the back pages and, um, and the more gossipy parts of the internet and uh, making ourselves look bloody stupid in the process. Um, whereas ever, yeah, that, that's that's my big issue. Right, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not too bothered about yeah. kind of you know Conte. Conte's a um, yeah big name manager who's going to be in demand. He's going to be in prime position for the next big job that comes available. So I'm not surprised that it's broken down. It looked like a, a strange fit, fit anyway, and maybe it's done as a favour because it hasn't broken down in the middle of the season or on the you know final but one day of the transfer window or something like that. Um, so yeah, maybe we just saved ourselves a lot of pain further down the line. But it was an odd decision in the first place. And what was even more odd is that with that and Poch and some of the other stuff that's been going on, it's clearly that, uh, that some of those leaks are coming out of our club, and it's it's our club who are briefing the press around these things, and they've just made themselves look bloody stupid. Yeah, I mean, as you quite rightly said, if you want to play really cheesy early nineties, you know, drum and bass from back in the day, like you probably play it with the with play it with your windows up and keep it a little lower just so you can enjoy it but if you want to go if you're, if you're blaring junglis massive out of your windows at high speed in a bright yellow like you know fear uno which is basically a mobile speaker which is a which is you're right it's exactly what we've done in the last week we've been blaring our intentions to the entire universe then it does it is a little embarrassing when it when everyone actually focuses in and sees that it means tantamount to fuck all like nothing is happening so yes i agree i you know. i never saw daniel levy in the jungle massive but uh... general levy well, yeah yeah him yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow all of a sudden, we actually are we are creating our own hybrid <laughs> early nineties junglist DJ General Levy just blaring it through the sound system. Yeah, but I wish he wouldn't. You're right. You're right, though. I wish he would take the uh, the Everton approach and maybe go a little bit mellower, quieter. You know, one of those cars that you can put the windows up and it's got sound mm. insulation because that is. You're right. The most embarrassing thing is there's all sorts of stuff that goes on with managerial negotiations. We know that, and I'm sure that Conti's campers. Mm. something and we've fed this and that but we're so good at keeping things quiet and you and i were talking about this before we 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 came on air we did it so well Mm. with Mourinho, and Mourinho had been in the stadium for for like a a few games so you know but we still managed to bury it so someone's misplaying their pr game here it would appear the club must be thinking it's close in order to do that i don't see why you know there are many things but they're not intentionally going out to make themselves look stupid are they we would hope not we would hope that's the case yeah but it's very hard right now to have any faith that the ship is moving in the same direction and it, it it's a strange time. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's safer to to assume that they're incompetent rather than any. I think I think it's incompetence. I don't you know I don't think there's um, some big conspiracy here. And yeah, I've heard people talking about the season ticket deadline and what have you. There's a waiting list. They don't really need to do that. And if that was the case, they w- it would be. 
That would be scheduling of the most... Yeah. I mean, it would be incredible planning. That would require <laughs> planning and foresight that I think is beyond our board. And <laughs> Right. And I mean, unless you subscribe to this absurd theory that, you know, the Dybalas, the Rivaldos and all of that are always thrown out there as like, you know... Uh, but I mean, it is. It's just... It is, I think, actually, more than anything, it points to some sort of um, hiring flaw that, you know, we do get close to these things and something scuppers it. Well, I mean, Dybala was um, you know, ownership rights wasn't it which we always knew was going to be tricky so i think you know, it's third party yeah, ownership it was third party ownership exactly. so it was always going to be difficult and um yeah. you know I, I, again i don't have a problem with this um i mean you know pushing for for difficult transfers and failing i don't have a problem with that just don't blare it out your yeah. feet you know uh, at high speed i mean that's the that's yeah the, deal, I mean, the rivaldo it? one again we just made ourselves look stupid didn't we it did and i mean by the way just as, just so people are clear my reference to the fear uno is a bright yellow fear uno that ali g rides around in in his in his film in the film of ali g that the motion picture from i think about 15 years ago and he's he's riding around with a with with a was it malcolm freeman i think they are and they're both like playing jungle is massive but anyway that's why i keep on referring to that and and that's i i, I mean it absolutely is like that so Milo, uh, you know the Paratici or Paratici. Uh, we're going to learn the appropriate pronunciation, the correct one, in the coming days. Hopefully, when he gets confirmed. But I'll say Paratici for now. I'm going to go with Paratici uh, just because I like the. I like Sounds to right. Try and be Italian. Paratici. Paratici. <laughs> so Paratici uh, is he? Is I mean, this could be the single most important step that mm. we make this summer because perhaps finally we have found a situation where between him and you were telling me that he is a friend of Steve Hitchens so they will work together perhaps the two of them will be able to cut out the mm. bullshit and get things done yeah I mean that's what I've heard I've heard that they're um the mates and that um this is the two of them will work together so it's not it's not Hitchin leaving and and you know we know that by the time we put this out, it will be announced that Hitchens left the club, and, that's, <laughs> and, and but right. so we're, we're hostage right. to, hostage to fortune here. But we're recording this on Saturday evening, and uh, as of this date, uh, we understand that uh, Paratici and uh, Hitchin are mates, and they will work together. And uh, presumably, he gets a place on the board. So maybe um, that's a couple of football people on the board which you know maybe balances it a bit more in their favor as you as you were saying well, maybe, maybe that's a buffer between the manager and and levy which you know might help i also wonder whether um Paratici is the person to appoint, you know, to uh, approach. If we're going back to some of the people that we've looked at before, so Ten Hag or Potter or some of the others, you know, maybe him coming in rather than Levy might make it a bit easier for for those people to accept. I think, uh, in the interests of public service and service to the club, and and let it not be forgotten that we did do a full squad mm. review for the for the board and the club last week. Um, so I think just to help clarify for Mr. Paratici and uh, and and for and clarify Daniel Levy's point. Uh, and basically, this is for anyone who's listening. So, Mr. Ten Hag, Mr. Potter, Mr. Pochettino, you already know. But let me be very clear. We're not going to spend tons of Wonga on big players. We want you to know this. You will be working with youth and you will be getting whatever you can get from whoever you can sell and maybe an extra 25 million. So I just want to make that clear because it seems that somewhere along the line, that information was not exchanged. Between the Conti and Levy camps. We, we can't say that for sure, but just in case that is what happened, let the game is about glory do 
its due diligence service here and let any future prospective managers know that is the situation. No, I've got some possible. good news. So, so we've got, we have got um, some listeners in Paris, Steph. We have got some listeners in Amsterdam, but we don't have any in Milan. So maybe this is where the issue is. <laughs> Very good. And before we end up uh, talking our way through to Milan, I don't really know what the metaphor is. Milo, Milo, we should just cap it. Let's stop now because obviously we could talk about this all night and, and never come to a cohesive answer, but we'd have a damn fine time yammering away about it. But, you know, let's, instead, let's just... Instead of that, why don't we let them listen to Ram, Ricky, me and you, rabbit on about a handful of players who played for Spurs and Everton <laughs> um, from earlier on in the season, which we... Rabbited on too much and couldn't fit into the episode it was meant to be part of. Love it. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, settle back, get your favourite beverage, close your eyes, and remember, great players, interesting players, exciting players, take a little trip down memory lane and forget all this guff that's going on right now (laughs) with our club. So let's get back to uh, Everton and Spurs. No, we're not going to spend another 20 minutes discussing the 2-2 draw. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't panic. We thought, we found it pretty interesting uh, when we were making a, writing our notes for this game. We realised that actually the two clubs have shared a fair amount of players over the years. There was surprisingly more than we thought. Uh, you know, they're the likes of even Pat Van Den Howe. Richard Goff, Vinny Samways, Stephen Pienaar are among the players who have worn both uh, the Everton and uh, our Mighty Spurs shirt. But we wanted to focus on four, well, three certifiable legends and one player who threatened to become one. Paul Gascoigne, Aaron Lennon, Gary Lineker and Nick Barmby. So, you know, we've all gone and done our homework this week and everyone has come with their reports on these players. So, we're going to spend a few minutes on each player just looking back at how they were, how they played for each club and how their career was and so on and so forth. And Ram, we're going to kick off with you and with, uh, you know, one of one of our very favourite players I know is very dear to all of us on this pod, uh, Aaron Lennon. Thanks, Steph. Yes, Mr. Aaron Justin Lennon. So, yeah, he moved to Spurs in 2005, one million pounds, um, which was an absolute steal. Uh, and I think it was it was largely down to the fact Leeds had uh, financial problems at the time. For me, he was our diminutive speedy winger down the right flank, very unique running style, always played with his heart, always showed up for the ball. Even when he, he was having a bad game or the players were having, uh, the team itself was having a bad game, he never hid, which I think we all really appreciated. And he was, you know, he was also a crucial first line of defence uh, for us. So even in today's game, he'd be a crucial player in his prime because he's, I know he had a very good um, partnership with uh, Vedran uh, Chorluka at one point, And, you know, and he used to track back really well as well as coming forward. And, you know, his kind of signature thing was um, taking on players, which is something that's almost alien to <laughs> a lot of, uh, to us to view nowadays. You know, he'd, he'd always be on the front foot, taking on players, going to the byline winging either a cross at pace or sometimes a floaty one for uh, someone like Peter Crouch or he'd cut in and uh, you know he'd go in for the for the goal uh, if I was to do like an audio highlights reel of my favourite moments of uh, Aaron Lennon at Spurs I would say um, the game against Chelsea where he absolutely ruined Ashley Cole with a dummy to score the winner against them um, at the lane and it was to pick up our first home win against them since 1987 
and uh, scoring the equaliser in the dying moments of that four-all game uh, against Arsenal. I was there, mate. I had to cut in <laughs> because that was just fucking brilliant. That was one of the great moments of the last... The oh, my in God. The <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I tried to... I, I definitely... I thought about trying to get on the pitch at one point and I just realised I was just going to turn around and look at the upper deck above the away end and just send them sign language as to how much I was enjoying the moment. Sorry, I had to interrupt. I'm reeling myself back in. Not at all. Not at all. I, I, I remember what I was... I, I wasn't there, but I remember going absolutely apoplectic oh, joy caveman. Oh, yeah absolutely, absolutely caveman scenes. and my mates my mates wanted to leave when, at, on the 90th minute and i'd had a oh. few pints i'm like you don't leave before the end you never leave before the end never the oh my god anyway you're right sorry <laughs> no no worries milo you can just edit me out I've, 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 oh. um oh. And then we had the uh, uh, that nine-one game against Wigan, where I know a lot of the talk was about mm. Defoe because he scored. Was it five goals in that game? I was there. <laughs> <laughs> this is just how. This is why Aaron Lennon is a Spurs legend. Some of our most memorable so right. um, moments, uh, you know, specifically in the so Premier right. League area uh, era, was um, he he was around for that for that time. And in that game, I think he got three assists, scored a goal. He went off to a standing ovation. You know, kind of everyone talked about Jermaine Defoe, but Lennon for me that day was unstoppable. And then finally, the the kind of the end of the highlights reel for me was that run at the San Siro. Say it, Ricky. Say that louder. That one in the pissing rain. Oh, what what a run! <laughs> Crouchy's. Knocked it in the corner. Yeah. Beautiful. Was that when Mrs. Ricky was there? Yeah, as well? she was there. She was. She wasn't. Che- she might have been cheering. I'll... Is that what's turned her against this podcast before it even started? <laughs> it was standing in the pissing rain in Milan. <laughs> no, we were undercover, but I think I don't know if she was cheering because I'd, I'd disappeared six, seven rows forward, sort of just like good you know. <laughs> Mrs. Ricky, Mrs. Ricky, we're going to Milan for a holiday. And the reality <laughs> is, I did, yeah, I did my best. Off, I did dress you, it up you, like you that. Fuck honestly, off seven rows down the front, and she's getting soaked. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you're so right though ram you've just named i mean look we've all well i started it you know we, this is meant to be a very civilized you get your moments eulogize a great player's career and we're all in and like you know wow this is brilliant this was that so that champions league run was so special and he was such a massive part of that you know and, and it enabled us to get go into the next round um he, he spent 10 years with us so he, he left for everton on loan um in february 2015 and then joined them permanently the september all in all for us now in terms of stats i think these are the most reliable ones i could find it says he made 365 appearances for us in all competitions scoring 30 goals and provided 78 assists he then went to everton uh and uh he made a good start for them in, the, in his he had a good loan spell with them and then they they brought him on on a permanent deal there wasn't as many highlights <laughs> at everton as there was uh for us well, i guess one of his highlights was he did score against us uh at goodison in a one-all draw and he's and he scored first and typical spurs obviously you know one of our own sort of scoring against us in that sense and he it was in that period he had he went on a bit of a run where he scored like a hat full of goals um and things were looking good for him looking good for Everton but then they just went into a slump you know spares of the north and mm. they uh they ended up uh firing Roberto Martinez and then uh Lennon couldn't get a look in really under Ronald Koeman and that and that's when he went uh, whatever happened to him Ronald Koeman yeah what is he what is he doing now <laughs> sorry <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, so his, his stats for Everton are played 77 times, nine goals and six assists. If we're going to, you know, 
I guess what you know we were asking where where you know who would who'd enjoy most most of his success was I think there's no question that Lennon had his best spell mm. um with us in the time he was with us he was nominated for the PFA young player three times in a row uh he won a, he won a league cup which I think is his only silverware um that he's won mm. to date he was voted the fans player of the season in 0809 uh, and he broke into the England team as well played for them 20 times no goals six assists played in two world cup but one thing I do want to mention actually uh you know just in terms of Lennon whilst he was at Everton I know you know it was documented that he was actually detained um under the mental health act in uh, April 2017 um you know there was reports of a man that was uh, a dan- you know there was danger to a man's life and he spoke very candidly about it a couple of years later and I think and offered his support to fellow pros uh, and youngsters in the game as well um and he was also involved in an initiative centering around creating a safe dialogue for teenagers to discuss mental health whilst he was at Burnley. So, you know, it's kind of schools initiative. And I think for me, Lennon being so honest about that, um, about his own experiences mm. with mental health struggles, it really provided a platform in quite a, in what is still a very masculine environment um, where, you know, you don't really talk about your feelings and it's almost, you know, it's considered a weakness. Mm. But a lot of other players opened up because of his stance and him opening up himself, you know, and he offered support um for, uh, to his peers um, and within the game and, and he was actually revered for it and even on social media which can be so toxic he um, he actually uh, th- it shows a measure of who he was or who he is rather um, you know that he he received so much support not support not only from fans of clubs he played for but fans across the board um, and, and you know and, and getting the wider public as well so I think that for me is like kind of my my uh, my eulogy on Aaron Lennon. I just want to share one thing though, which I think the my last word in this eulogy for him, and I think it can encapsulate Lennon's time at Tottenham. Uh, the moment for me was during a Champions League game at Wembley in 2018. Um, so this was after he left the club. There was another diminutive forward genius um, attempting to terrorise us down the right uh, that night. Um, and it was in our game against Barcelona by the name of Lionel Messi. Um, and myself and a large section of the fans joined in unison to let him know exactly where he lay in the pecking order of all-time greats of the right-hand side. You're just a shit Aaron Lennon. A shit Aaron Lennon. A shit Aaron Lennon. And in fairness, for what you just said about Aaron Lennon and his stance and bravery Mm. in confronting mental health, I would say that uh, Aaron Lennon is, of the two of them, a bigger legend to all of us than Lionel Mm. Messi will ever be. So, Yeah, it was a really brave stance, wasn't it? Yeah, so well stated, mate. Well stated. When he first joined, I think probably his elevation to the first team was probably a little quicker than planned. I think Wayne mm. Wayne Routledge was planned to be mm. the the first teamer, and then Routledge he got injured, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. And Lennon got his chance and mm. and really took it with both hands, didn't he? And then when Routledge recovered, he ended up going out on loan. I think his elevation to the first team was probably a little a little quicker than planned, and uh, yeah, he found himself in the in the England team very quickly as well. And he, mm. he's, I remember him making a pretty immediate impact mm. in, on the England team. I would say, with the way things are at the moment with the team, I'd actually quite like the certainty of the way Lennon plays. Yeah, at least I kind of know what I'm going to get and how he's going to you know, he's going to keep his position. He's going to take people on. He's. I was thinking the same thing when Ram was talking about him because he was he was strong defensively, wasn't he? He'd cover yeah, his fullback yeah, definitely, and I would imagine that Mourinho would really appreciate that and obviously his pace from breaking mm. from deep. You know, mm. he's actually still playing. He's in Turkey playing for Kayseri Spore. Is he really? Yeah, he's only 34. Is he? Maybe a cheeky bid. He had a brilliant touch as well, Lennon. He did. I wouldn't say it was under 
underrated. I think everyone sort of used to point that out, that his touch of just killing the ball was exceptional. He was just so, I mean, he was mesmeric to watch. I mean, the way he moved, uh, he used that low centre of gravity to such Mm. devastating effect. And his acceleration for that first Mm. 15 yards was unbelievable. Uh, But a very interesting thing about him, when he first came to us, there was an awful lot of talk at the time that James Milner was also going to come as part of the deal. And it never quite happened. And I don't know Mm. why. Uh, The other aspect of it is that apparently he did suffer from homesickness Mm. uh, quite a lot in the early time with us. And this will become relevant with one of our later players, actually, the either Northern player Mm. coming to us and homesickness. However, uh, he, he, he toughed it out and braved it through. And I always wondered in the back of my mind if that did in the end uh, not help him when it came to his his mental health, mm. if you add mm. the pressures of the game and, and so on and so forth into it. And I do remember when he was on England duty, he got isolated for some, I think someone saw him smoking a cigarette in, an, in a lounge or something after the Euros and he got targeted as one of the people involved. They, they, you know, storm in a teacup, rubbish again, media. But, you know, you add it all up and it's a lot of pressure on the guy. But yeah, I, going back uh, to what you were saying, Ram, some of the memories that he has, and I don't think there's a person listening to this pod who doesn't have a punch the air Aaron Lennon moment. Mm. <laughs> I mean, he was yeah. that player. He was a lot of fun to watch, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of fun to watch. So exciting. That was a classic example, going back to that San Siro game, because when he was off and away, off up the pitch, you could see from that defender, he did that classic <laughs> sort of double scissor <laughs> leg challenge, because he just knew this is the only way I'm going to try and stop this. And even then, mm. he still skipped over him yeah. like a hurdler. And it was yeah. just, he just couldn't do anything. There was no turning towards him, trying to nick the ball, nothing, because he, he was an electric kind of player like that. It was Potch who got rid of him, wasn't he? It was in that that early lot he got shot off it's um it puzzled me because he always looked like a hard worker to me but i I wonder what potch would have done with a 19 year old aaron lennon yeah it's a great question it's a great thought i and you know it's interesting that andros townsend uh sort of came in and and didn't last much longer actually so another orthodox winger you might say at the time although townsend certainly had to adapt his game somewhat to stay relevant i think maybe he wanted a little more i don't know Let's remember Aaron Lennon for his superb dribbling skills and wonderful contribution to our football club. So, Ricky, bring us on to the next legend. Uh, Let's talk about a guy I think we've all heard of, uh, Mr. Gary Lineker. Gary Winston Lineker, OBE no less. He was born 1960, so only just turned 60 today, young Gary. Right then, Everton. How did he end up at Everton? He was playing at um, Leicester in the um, 84-85 season and he made a very successful partnership with old Steph's old friend, old Alan Smudger-Smith, you know, your old mate. <laughs> and, and definitely a better partnership, <laughs> definitely a better partnership than um, Tyler and um, Smith on a Sunday afternoon. Let's put it that way. But anyway, it peaked. He was top scorer that year and it peaked at Everton's interest and they paid 800 grand to take him to Everton. But an uh, interesting point this is, is that Lineker was actually out of contract then. So he had no contract left. And because this was before Bosman, he had to go to tribunal. And Leicester wanted more than that. They wanted 1.8. And I think everyone obviously wanted to pay less and he ended up at 800 grand. But that's quite interesting that an out of contract player was still worth, because he could have gone anywhere these day, this day and age. Uh, so yeah, they, they decided that in tribunal. Everton that year were in the, um, they'd won the league the year before and they were looking forward to a European Cup campaign. But that got kiboshed because of Heisel. He basically replaced Andy Gray, who was a massive crowd favourite. Lineker actually had hassle dealing with in the initial stages of when he joined at Everton. First goal for Everton was ironically against us when they came to the lane and they won 1-0, um, something that was obviously repeated this year. Um, so that was a, a good way to start off for him with, with the Toffees. He gradually won the fans over, basically by scoring goals. I think it was about 
Christmas time, he scored a brace against Man U and Sheffield Wednesday, and he's always said that's where he felt like the crowd turned and he was on side for it. I mean, Everton pushed for the double that year, as did Liverpool. They were in pole position for the, their second title in a row there, but then blew it. They had, I think, four games left and they had a game in hand and they were only a point behind Liverpool. Uh, but they had a chance of making up for that in the cup final. Lineker played in the cup final that year. Um, and once again, they were 1-0 up, much in control of the game. Second half, blew it again, lost 3-1 to Liverpool. But anyway, so that was all disappointing for, for Lineker. But personally, um, it catapulted him to a new level. He was the Golden Boot winner that year. He was the PFA player of the player of the year he was the football writers player of the year and he ended with 40 goals in 57 games for Everton which is a great return this is another thing that I found quite amazing he was literally at Everton just for 10 months that was the only time he was there before the World Cup and then moving on to that small team in Spain but he certainly made his mark man that took him to Barca was El Tell just as El Tell had taken him to Barca to team up with uh, Mark Hughes Alex Ferguson actually wanted to do the same with Lineker with Mark Hughes at Man United when he was bringing him back from Spain. But luckily, maybe the uh, Terry Venables connection was um, the thing that persuaded him to move to us instead. In 89, at 28 years old, Linux signed for us for 1.1 million. He chalked up 77 league goals in 105 games and 80 goals in 138 games in total. Uh, he was top scorer in his first season as we finished third, scoring 24 goals. His most memorable games for us were probably the FA Cup semi-final, obviously, versus the Goons in the final against the Clough his first goal against Arsenal in that semi-final was a typical predator goal that we all know uh, Lineker for and then I think the second goal just as it looked like Arsenal might get back into oh let his hand Seaman he was lucky he just blasted one and palmed it into the corner we all love that and of course he didn't have the happiest of finals because he had a goal controversy disallowed which I think these days VAR would have given and he also missed a penalty as Crossley saved but he ended up winning that was his first English trophy maybe is that his own English trophy I think possibly yeah it is yeah I think it was wasn't it and just in his final season as he did at Leicester just like his final season at Spurs was personally good for him but not so good for the team because he scored 28 goals in 35 games but overall the team we only finished 15th that year I think by 92 the piss poor era was upon us basically final note to Lineker he never received a red or yellow card in 16 years of playing so fair play to him for that and then he left eventually left us in 92 for Krampus 8 went off to um, Japan we got 2 million for him from Krampus 8 so did we? we yeah so we doubled our money on him oh we did yeah that's right I didn't put that down yet so yeah we doubled his money and he he was probably, what, 32-ish by then? Yeah, he, he was crocked, wasn't he? His toe was done, his wasn't it? So I think he, he always he, goes on about his dodgy toe, yeah. He, he did a couple he did a couple of years there and didn't do uh, didn't play a huge number of games each year. I mean, fair play to him. I mean, the one thing I would say about him, it looks like wherever he's gone, he's done what he's paid to do. How much do you reckon he'd be worth in the modern game? Over 100 million. I think so. I mean, you could you could argue that that's... I mean, that kind of fox-in-the-box goal poachers is not... It's tough to evaluate because of how he played. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you played Gary Lineker outside the 18-yard box, he actually wasn't a very good footballer, let's be honest. Mm. But inside the 18-yard box, he was electric. He was quick, over a, certainly over a short distance, wasn't he? And his positioning and timing was superb. Yeah. Mm. Right. And so, I mean, it's very much... I, I think it would depend on the, on the team and the system. I actually think he would have to he I don't think he would have got away with being able to play the way he did in the modern game no. I think someone would have tried to turn him into something else they did it to Jermaine Defoe they would have done it mm. to him I think is there a comparison of him today in the game closest I can think of is Sergio Aguero in terms of finishing I mean in terms of the goal ratio I mean but coming into the box yeah I mean I would say one thing about Gary Lineker's career with us that always strikes me is that you know of course we remember him for the semi-final and the cup final but I also remember him as sort of it's so sad that 
he came into the club at a moment where so many creative players were around and leaving mm. or mm. not quite with it. And, you know, I'm thinking particularly of Waddle and Hoddle. And you think of Waddle and, and, and Lineker and, and Hoddle in the same side, if you could have made that happen. There's a few years, obviously, I'm spanning there. But my word, you know, it's so you just think of the lost opportunities or how close we were. I think you probably would have struggled to fit Hoddle, Waddle and the next person we're talking about in the same side. <laughs> well, yeah, that next person we're talking about, incidentally, I think should go last because oh, okay. that next person we're talking about deserves to go last because <laughs> okay. he's such a presence. <laughs> but to your point, yes, I agree. The, those those players you'd have a hard time I'd love that you'd love to have seen it yeah. I'd love to have seen them try and do it but that's always what I think with Lineker like we never quite you know for the return that we got from him I mean it's maybe quite similar to Harry Kane in that sense we've got a brilliant as well different players but you're getting a great return in terms of goals but is the structure around them enough to get you know to get the trophies their goals would usually get you if you know what I mean I think it was the same uh, scenario as Kane now where we mentioned he could play in any team and in that era Gary Lineker would have fit into any team on the planet you know mm-hmm. and, and bang the goals in as he proved so yeah I think it, it definitely I agree with you Steph I don't think we did like it, we we almost didn't do him justice you know and and there were there was players that there was it's like it was like an almost was you know but in that relationship and and it all I remember him leaving and I remember he was my favorite Spurs player when I first started supporting Spurs mm. and I really you know I supported Spurs because of Gary Lineker you know even though I'm a North London boy growing up but like if Gary Lineker had played for Hull I'd probably support Hull but um <laughs> but you know obviously from there I I uh, I became, you know, really into kind of supporting Tottenham Hotspur as a club. But I remember him leaving. It was a bit like, it was a really, it was like a, a damp squib, you know? It was like, oh, okay, my, I've got an ingrown toenail and then off I go to Japan. And it was like, that back in the day, that back then you didn't just go to, like now, players go to Japan for, you know, it's like, okay, You didn't just yeah, go this- to Japan to take care of an ingrown toenail. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it was, it wasn't an ingrown toenail, was it? I oh, think was it, that it was, the joke? Was, Maybe I'm, I'm conflating like um, I think reality. I think it was a bone issue, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I right. think it was a bone issue and he'd, he'd been taking, he'd been ta- having painkilling injections for quite a yeah. long time. I think banging in the goals in that final season for us and us finishing 15th was probably enough for him to like think. <laughs> <you know. laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to here. laugh. I'm, going to I'm sorry to laugh, but it is just the way you said that. It was just says everything really doesn't it you would be thinking crikey grandpa say of course we, we we all know who his manager was at grandpa say don't we is it being oh, yeah, yeah it was yeah 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 i could yeah. have told us he was good <laughs> i think lineker is meant to have tipped the nod to us to say that he we ought to get wenger at spurs so <laughs> who do we think saw the best of him i i i'd argue us in that we had him for longer he scored 26, 19, 35, depending on how you're counting them in all competitions. So he scored a lot of goals for us and he got his only silverware with us. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But I suppose he was just at Everton for a year. So, yeah. I mean, but yeah, I think we probably did get the best of him. Yeah. Earlier in the uh, Gary Lineker discussion, Ram did say um, that, you know, if he was at Hull, he might have been supporting Hull. And uh, desperate to make the connection to the next player we're discussing, Nick Barmby was a school kid in Hull who came to Tottenham Hotspur when he left school. So let's talk about Nick Barbie. Came to us from Hull as a school kid. Um, As I said, he signed forms when he left school. He went on to make 100 appearances in all competitions for us between 1992 and 95, scoring 27 goals. I think one of the things that was the most prominent about Barbie's Spurs career was that he really operated like a Peter Beardsley type Mm. um, attacking midfielder. And he was sitting 
as part of that famous five that Ozzy Ardiles had alongside Sheringham, Klinsman, Dimitrescu and Anderton. I mean, he was such an exciting player on the ball and there was always a goal in him. You always felt there was a goal. Tremendous energy, tremendous verve, a really a fan favourite at that time. I mean, he was an integral part of what was going on. You know, he turned pro under the wing of Terry Venables, but I think it's fair to say, making his debut in 1992 against Sheffield Wednesday, but I think it's fair to say that it was under Ozzy Ardiles that he really flourished and really found his you know, attacking verve. He played for England 23 times. His debut came while he was still with us in March of 1995. But then suddenly that summer, he was sold uh, in, in, ra- in rather abrupt fashion uh, for £5.25 million. And he went to Middlesbrough, which is further north than Hull, <laughs> uh, but somewhat uh, managed, I think, to satiate what was said to be a case of homesickness. I mean, there were some other rumours going around at the time, which I, you know, if you want to dig around the, the pop bitches of foot, the football world, you can probably find them, but I'm not going to get into them here. But let's just say it was homesickness. He ended up at Everton in 1996. It's really interesting. The numbers are fairly similar. He went on to make 116 appearances for them, scoring 18 goals. But what happened at Everton was they started to play more as a wide player. So he was not quite central behind the, you know, playing that number 10. He was playing more as a wide player. Uh, his best season with them came in 99-2000 and he only missed one league game that season, um, scored nine goals. It's significant because injuries really did kind of end up nobbling his, his career, you know. But... He left Everton that summer for Liverpool to brave move. Uh, Man United had also were also showing interest in him, you know. So he was a top player at that time, and he won. He won a bunch of bunch of stuff at Liverpool. He won the UEFA Cup. He won the, the the two pots that you can win, you know, the FA Cup and the League Cup. Did not win the title with them, as we know. And then you know his career it sort of it seemed injury problems and a loss of form and so on and so forth. You know, it just seemed to trundle on and peter out and he ended up you know he went to leeds and then he ended up actually back at his hometown of hull um you know he made 490 appearances scored 90 goals in his career i think it's fair to say he was a fairly unique individual in terms of the fact he wasn't a big drinker he wasn't a big was one of the lads in that sense and uh I don't think he was ever afraid to march to the beat of his own drum. Again, if you want to look into his history a little more, he certainly has been involved in a couple of uh, controversial stands within dressing rooms at certain clubs and also even within his own family where he fell out with his own family for a while. But, you know, that's all by the by. As a footballer, I always look at Nick Barnby and I think, wow, he could have been absolutely Mm. just a legend in the game and a legend for for us. And it never, or it didn't happen, I think simply because he left. I mean, that's my take on it. I don't know what anyone else remembers of Nick Barnby, but that's, you know, uh, let, let's open the floor. I think he was a really, really good footballer. He had a really decent career. Yeah, maybe it's the fact that he moved around quite a bit that he's not held in higher esteem because there's not anyone to kind of beat his drum. And if you talk about, if we take the kind of which club had the better of him, I mean, the Everton fans probably aren't going to beat his drum because of how he left and who he left for. But I think he was a really good player. He's underrated. I think the Beardsley uh, comparison stands up, certainly in the kind of early part of his career he had a decent international career you know he was a key key figure in you know Hoddle's Keegan's and Ericsson's uh England sides it's always and it's also again Man United came in for him twice sorry and actually we should also say that, that Borough side he played in was a bloody good Borough side it was yeah that was the Janino side he had a falling yeah. out with Brian Robson actually which is what caused his Middlesbrough you know his Middlesbrough time to come to an end and I think that's something when you look at his career history that's what's the most interesting is he seems to have had these abrupt either changes of heart 
or mm. fallings out or something. And that's, you know, and I can, t- I can tell you, I remember when he left us or we sold him, uh, but he pushed for the move. I was gutted and I was not best pleased about it, to be honest, not with him. I, th- mm. I was the same. Yeah, I really, I was, I wasn't pleased when he left. And, you know, he was another one of those players that I, I got excited when he got on the ball. I don't know how, considering that was his most successful spell, but I totally forgot about Barnby at Liverpool. And, you know, mm. and he did, he won all those trophies and, and I just can't, I can't remember it. <laughs> he, he's a player who probably would quite suit the modern game, isn't he? Mm, I, I agree with so, that. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, in a four-two-three-one, you can see him. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. Could, he could play anywhere in the, any of those three positions behind the striker, couldn't he? Quite easily. Potch would have loved him. Yeah. One of his main attributes was his intelligence. He's the kind of player yes. that could. He's the kind of player that wants to fit into the team. If you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah. Which obviously sometimes we complain about Mora being the opposite. Sometimes you know he's, he's doing his own thing. But I'm surprised really that he doesn't get mentioned a lot by Spurs fans when you do no. talk no. about old players. For some reason, he's just not on the radar. And I remember all I've got is very fond memories of him and I don't know whether it's because he had a lovely thing going with Sheringham and Anderson and that kind of thing obviously Mm. two other very clever players as well but I've got he was he was kind of such a such a link man, such a kind of could score as well and you know he had almost not obviously had a burst of pace but he could just get past Mm. and burst into sort of areas and zones that would be dangerous i've really good it, memories of him to be honest it's it's very ironic of the of the players we've discussed so far when you put it in context as milo has just done of you know fitting into the modern game of right now he is the one this yeah aaron lennon obviously great 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 player we talked about gary lineker legend everything. but you take barbie probably over all of them for what he can do for the team and how many mm. different ways he can play and how effective he can be in two or three different roles and as you say ricky for that intelligence yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you know maybe he suffered a bit from kind of the more rigid systems that were played at the time he was playing. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. fit into a four four two quite as easily as he would to some of the exactly. you know, to four two three one or four three three. Interesting. Yeah. And I think we've concluded that, you know, it's been a, a nice surprising look back at a player that doesn't get a big enough shout out but from fans. Have we decided who got the better of him, us or Everton? We did. I think we decided that uh Is it a draw? we didn't decide. <laughs> is it a draw I think I'm not sure because I didn't really take that much notice of him when he then did go to other clubs to be honest when, I mean I forgot he was at Liverpool so I'd be biased if you were to ask me So I mean I think his most exciting football was with us his yeah. most successful football was with Liverpool and I think mm. with Everton he learnt to play another role and did some good work for them so yes as Ricky said my bias would say that we got the better of him but that's purely based on you know the, the the impact he had on our side at that time. It's not a slam dunk, though, is it? No, it's win no, by it points. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, you know, we probably need a we probably need an outside judge. You know, well, actually, if anyone is listening, why don't you send us a tweet? Who got the better of Nick Barnby, Everton or us? Milo, you have the man. Uh, I want to say the myth. Uh, the legend I mean I don't know I don't know what there's left to say about him but I know if there's one person who can find something to say it's going to be Milo so Gaza came through the ranks at Newcastle uh, turning pro in 1985 and he signed for us three years later in 1988 for 2.2 million uh, treading a well-worn path over the years with you know following Waddle and then leading the way for you know Ginola Ferdinand Jenis Rule Fox so many greats over the years have uh, come from Newcastle to Spurs. But Ber- <laughs> Berkey came from, joined us from Newcastle, didn't he? As a, as a, he was a coach at Newcastle and came in as um, assistant to Terry O'Neill, didn't he? Uh, yeah, or a great, coach on Terry, that, so. just, just to reference this for our younger listeners, that is the great Keith Birkinshaw. And I mean 
great. Gazza was another one who turned down Man United when he joined us. And under Venables' tutelage, um, I think he became the best midfielder in the country. Undoubtedly became the best midfielder in the country. First season, he helped us finish sixth, scoring seven goals in 37 appearances. Following season in 89-90, we, sc- we finished third, and scoring seven goals in 38 games. Following that, we've got Italia 90. And um, I think probably after that, we're talking about kind of Paul Gascoigne, celebrity aren't we really he absolutely lit up that tournament the semi-final the tears and everything else he it's one of those moments where a sports person kind of transcends football and he becomes famous for people who aren't into football or aren't into sport he you know he came home from italy as probably one of the most famous people in the country you know gascoigne's a you know kind of complex character and um, maybe that didn't sit too well on his shoulders or maybe that was too much pressure for him to deal with at that time and then off the back of that and say in 1990 he was bbc sports personality of the year in 1990 1991 oh boy 19 goals in 37 appearances so he equaled uh lineker's goal tally for that season which is remarkable when you can you consider what a you know we talked about what a great goal scorer lineker was and uh you know, where the, you know, their respective positions on the pitch. Ends up winning the FA Cup, but, you know, it's bittersweet. We've already touched on a bit about that season. And um, rather than kind of me going into huge amounts of detail here, what I would like to do is give a little plug to a article that Gareth wrote for our blog this week around the 1990-1991 season and the kind of inspired, he wrote it, inspired by the FA Cup semi-final, which was the 30th anniversary of this week. And reading about the whole season, I'd forgotten a lot of it. And it's really bittersweet, isn't it? Because... Yeah, you know, I, I remember the <laughs> I remember the semi final and you know, and obviously the final really well. And but our league form was really shaky, wasn't it? And uh, after a, a reasonably bright start, we really sl- really <laughs> collapsed. I'd recommend everyone have a read of Gareth's article; it's really good. And that final was um, well, the last we saw of him, and it was well, he was just pumped, wasn't he? He was absolutely pumped for that final, and uh, he should have been sent off. I'm going to say things here that have been said loads and loads of times before. He should have been sent off long before he got himself stretched off. And before that, we'd agreed a fee with Lazio of 8.5 million to sell him to them. And, you know, that sale was forced by the club's, you know, kind of perilous financial state at the time. As a result of that injury in the cup final, he missed the whole of the next season and we renegotiated the deal with Lazio. So he ended up joining them a year later for five and a half million. His Spurs record, so 92 league appearances, 19 goals. In uh, in cup appearances, it was 19 cup appearances and 14 goals, which is, ain't bad going. We'll kind of skip through. So he went play for Lazio, Rangers, Borough. So we've got another another Spurs-Borough connection there as well, with, um, say, after Barnby. And then before joining Everton in 2000, reuniting himself with his ex-Rangers manager, Walter Smith. And he had a troubled spell at Goodison. Uh, he started the 2000-2001 season well, despite his lack of fitness. Um, but niggling injuries and depression meant that he was out of the side by Christmas. Uh, he went into rehab for alcoholism in a clinic in Arizona. Um, and he, he, he was fit enough to start the 2001-2002 season. Uh, and he scored his first goal for Everton that season and his last in English football away at Bolton on the 3rd of November. Um, he suffered a hernia injury, which kept him out of action for three months. And then Walter Smith left Goodison. He was replaced by David Moyes. And, and Gascoigne left, that was in March of that year, and Gascoigne left the club shortly after. Yeah, it, it's, it, his time at Everton wasn't the best. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about kind of mental health issues with, with Lennon and um, Gascoigne 
and you know it's had a similarly if not greater kind of traumatic effect on uh, on his well both his playing career and his personal life afterwards and then after leaving Everton he dropped down through the leagues so I think in terms of who had the best of him I think it's a pretty easy you know easy answer here the three years he was at Spurs were the best of his career by some distance and when he left left us whilst there were still bright sparks along the way he was a shadow of the player he was before and that injury cup final really really hampered him and I think you know after that and I'm sure we all remember Gascoigne playing with his elbows up whenever anyone was in on him he was always trying to protect himself and um yeah it's uh, it, it's sad that he, you know he, he was undoubtedly the best English midfielder of his generation he is I think he, he, he holds his own against anyone of previous generations as well he's amongst the best players I've ever seen play for our club or any club I think it's very very hard to evaluate the absolutely stratospheric rise he took off the mm. 1990 World Cup uh, because today people are so used to the the battering of modern media and how mm. modern media can make a star out of like a hamster you know I mean people are just used yeah. to it oh that hamster's got six million hits well at the time that Paul Gascoigne was became an international superstar uh, as you quite rightly pointed out Milo this was not really that commonplace and I think for no. football I think he was the bridge actually in the beginning this is my personal opinion of the likes of Sky and everyone yeah. wanting to, to form premiership because he football had been in the doldrums a lot of people won't know this mm. but you know for Margaret Thatcher had made an had actually you know assaulted football for several years prior off the back of the Heisel Stadium disaster and uh, our European ban and I think he was the first person to really put a football smile back on the public's yeah. face and to make people proud of the of the game and to give it an, a positive identity we touched on this in the when we talked about football tv programs didn't we and uh, when we we're talking about some of the programs from the early 90s and and how much of that was off the back of italia 90 and gaza in particular that image of him crying is yeah. isn't that just the most iconic image of like it's the bridge between old football and new football in a commercial sense, right? There's a few, isn't there? I say the Lineker one as well, where he's he's pointing, where he points to his eyes, is looking at Robson. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, there's a, there's quite you know we talk about Lineker and Gascoigne. You know, coming back from that World Cup, we had the two biggest yeah. names in English football, didn't yeah. we? We did. I would say with uh, for Gaza, like I I said earlier that Lineker was the reason I started supporting Spurs, but you know Gaza surpassed him. Um, and, you know, as 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 time went on, and for me, uh, my my the identity I I, I find synonymous with Spurs is Paul Gascoigne. Uh, I still to this day, my opinion, I. Think I think he is the best player I've ever seen in my life in the flesh. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm I'm talking over players that have played for us like Modric and Bale. I, I still would put Gaza head and shoulders above them. I think his natural ability was absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, he for me, it he was like our Maradona. You know, in, in that mm. sense that he was such he was like this this genius, this absolute genius who sadly you know they, they, he was tortured. He was absolutely tortured, and and the things that he he you know he he sadly is still suffering with um, you know and uh, it's things that he has to live with, but. He just put a smile on my face in a way that very... I, I love watching football. I love Spurs. But there's something that Gaza did that just like you know surpassed all of that and he had the charm of a cheeky child mm. right i mean you yeah. just you couldn't help but think you're scallywag and you'd want to give him a one-arm hug and like a bag of chips or something and like say be on with you you know whatever he was just so endearing i mean he it was, it was so you just felt so warmly towards him and mm. and that 
is even with as you say, he has not been all sweetness and light. Mm. It must be said. Ricky, you want to add anything about Gaza? I know that you've been. Oh, Gaza! He's just—he's definitely one of the heroes, and you just there's nothing better than going to a game and knowing you've got someone like him on your side. The chips can be down and everything, and that was proven in that um, cup final run, really, to to the '91 cup final. I went to that fifth round game at Fratton Park, and literally, there's nothing better when someone takes the game by the scruff of the neck and just hauls you over the line. And you could so we could so often do with someone like that now. And I think, and mm. in the mod, I think he would easily fit into the modern game. I think you just can't you can't really see how he wouldn't in the sense of you know if you've yeah, I know we don't really build teams around players as much these days but he would do a good service for most teams I think I also think he probably would have got the help in the modern game that he mm. was denied at the time he was playing mm. so I think uh, most clubs maybe not us <laughs> most clubs would be alive to his issues and probably would have been able to give him the help he needed at the time and in terms of kind of just as a player, I mean, obviously, fitness levels would have played a big difference as well. Can you imagine a fit Gascoigne? Um, and again, you could play him anywhere behind the, but yeah. in the in the three behind a front man, couldn't you? And he'd absolutely run the show yeah. as a number ten in the modern game. He would be oh. impossible to play. Yeah, I mean, and and to your point of looking after him, I mean, if I look down those clubs like after Lazio, like Rangers, Borough, Everton, and the problems he had with some of the other people that were at that club, I don't think that was helping his drinking problems. Yeah. I was going to say particularly Borough. I think in the modern game, though, one of the, you know you'd really need him to have an ally or two within the dressing room and or the management. I mean, everywhere that mm. he was at his most successful, he had one, didn't he? I mean, Glenn Rodo was a uh, mm. we've talked about in a previous pod. Glenn Rodo was a was a famous support pillar for him and of course you know you can't really mention his time with us without mentioning Gary Mabbott who you know mm. stoically you know stood by him like the uh, uh, the loyalist of, of, of teammates and friends it's it's actually quite touching yeah. you know and, and and this is the thing about Paul Gascoigne which is you could look at all the bad stuff and so on and so forth that he's got everywhere you go in football everyone has nothing but like warmth for him even in his saddest moments they were always juxtaposing it with a story about something wacky he did or funny or how he was just amusing i mean i'll, I'll tell you one story that's my favorite gaza story there's tons i've taken it i can't remember where it was actually but apparently he booted a ball over the over the, the training ground fence right and he said oh, i'll go and get that and he legged it yeah legged it apparently hopped the fence didn't come back and then the next morning Everyone's on the training pitch, and apparently he comes, hops back over the fence with the ball and says, got it. <laughs> just brilliant. I mean, that's just, you know, imagine that. I mean, just any, he'd lighten, he must have lightened any training session. You know, he must have, I bet he was difficult at times. I bet he needed managing. He'd be oh, like, yes. oh, my God, you're driving me mad. Mm. But, you know. The, the levity and of course but as we've all said there was also this you know these continual demons um that that you know yeah. persisted with him when you start to chip away i mean this is the unfortunate price of genius is it comes mm. with demons i th i think some people say that's bollocks and that's just you can say that and it's easy for you to say that because you can just sit and watch and take it in but i do think genuinely when you have mercurial talent of that rarity it usually comes with a demon and uh you know and the sad thing is if you start shaving bits off maybe it does blunt the spark i don't know mm. i mean personally for the for the man 
I would have taken the spark being blunted 10 times over if he would have had a more stable and happy life. I really would. I mean, I really, you'd wish that for him because he's obviously, yeah. let's not gloss over it. He's been involved in some awful uh, situations as mm. a result of his demons, uh, situations that really don't get you a pass with me. No, um, no, no. Ha- yeah. But having said that, you know, imagine if he could, there's such a warmth to him as we talked about here and, and mm. such a, you know, you, you just, you would, if he could have been happier, if the sacrifice had been a little less of the talent, maybe having said that, wow, what a talent. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Milo, we've come to the conclusion as to where, who got the best of him between us and Everton. <laughs> yeah. I think it's conclusive, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's no, there's no question. Thanks very much for listening to our little pod extra about the uh, great players that have uh, shared the mighty Tottenham Hotspur and Everton jersey over the years. So we're glad uh, that you tuned in. We hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed doing it. Tune in again uh, at the end of the week, actually, for another summer edition pod. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you will dig it. And please remember, as always, hit your social media, friends, Romans, countrymen, whoever. Lend us your ears. (laughs) (laughs) Lend us your ears, right. Lend us us your ears, your attention span, all of it. uh, and, and, and And just help us continue to grow. And by the way, you know, the growth of the pod in the last few months has been has been tremendous. And that is in no uncertain terms, thanks to you. So keep supporting us. We appreciate the support. We're enjoying doing it. We're glad you're enjoying hearing it. So that being said, we will see you again very, very soon. All right. Cheers, Milo. Cheers. See you, Steph. All right. See you, everyone. Bye bye.